Welcome to Said on Sunday, a podcast by Kelliville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hey everyone, my name's Beck, and I'm the host of the Set on Sunday podcast. Um, with me today is Dave. G'day Beck. I am so glad you're back. I was going to um, say you did such a good job last week. I almost didn't feel like I needed no, to come back. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> uh, as as you'll see, I completely left out a question. You would never do that, Beck. So yeah, <laughs> thank you, James. That's okay. It got caught, and I've put it on my list. Thank so you. there thank will you. be no question questions missing today. Excellent. Um, and Richard, you're back with us after a long hiatus on the Set on Sunday podcast. It has been a while. It's good to be back. Yeah, welcome. It's good to have you back. Um, you were the preacher on Sunday, Indeed. so you said some things on Sunday. Um, could you give us a bit of a summary? A summary, yes. So we were in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and uh, we got to the point where God's judgment was handed down. The judgment that we'd heard about that was coming all the way really from chapter 1. Uh, that uh, the, the judgment was coming on Eli and his family uh, and also because that onto the Israelites. And uh, we saw Israel uh, not doing what we might have thought they would have done in the period of the judges where they sin. God brings judgment on them with the Philistines and then we hope that they would call to God for salvation, but they didn't do that. They instead thought, ah, we'll go, we'll take the ark, we'll take it into battle and God will save us. Uh, and then he didn't. Uh, he judged his people instead. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we actually had a question about the ark. Yep. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the ark? You said it, you talked about that it represents God's glory, and that makes it sound a little bit like an idol. An idol, yes, it does, doesn't it? Um, no, it isn't. Uh, so the ark is, a, if you think of it as the, the, the physical representation of God's spiritual presence uh, mm-hmm. in their midst. That might be a one way to think of it. Um, it it's different to an idol. Uh, so idols are actually images of the god or the goddess that, that you've got there, and they represent their form. So male or female, often they could be other things as well. They could be animals in different cultures, but basically in the cultures around Israel, represented the form of a man or a woman. Uh, the ark is nothing like this, uh, and everyone in Israel knows this. The ark really is just a box. Mm-hmm. It's a box about a, a, a metre or so long, about half a metre wide, half a metre high, give or take. I thought you were about to say it's like this because Richard's doing hand movements. I'm doing hand movements. I'm sorry about <laughs> I was, that. I was about to go, they can't see you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, I did actually start the hand movement. You I did, thought I, 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 I had better describe what I'm doing here uh, because I'm not in front of people at the moment. So uh, the, arc, it, it, the word arc just means box. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's what it means. And the box is not meant to show God's image. It's meant actually it, it holds within it some artifacts and there are three of them in particular, and we know this from Hebrews 9 uh, verse 4, uh, there are the Ten Commandments, uh, there's Aaron's staff that abutted, and there's the pot of manna. And uh, so what the, the ark represents is, is not just God's glory in his presence, of course, but it's, it's also a God who is in relationship with mm-hmm. his people. Mm-hmm. So it represents that. So that's uh, the difference between an idol, because an idol isn't a repre- is, a, is a representation of a physical form, but it's not a representation of a relationship that mm-hmm. you've got with that God. So that that's the difference. Mm, interesting. Any other Ark facts, Dave? Uh, no, I was going to go to Raiders of the Lost Ark, so I'm, I'm glad Richard <laughs> answered the question. You're an 80s kid. <laughs> Just like me. That's where I went with it as well. <laughs> Sorry. Um, um, I, I'm not bringing anything at the moment, so, um, yeah, keep going. 
All right, fair enough. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, James. Um, yeah, something I read as well is, a, is about um, the ark was like a like God's footstool of his throne. So it kind of represented all those relationship things I hadn't really thought about, but also his sovereignty. Yep. Um, the, Yahweh being the king of Israel is a really massive theme along yep. with his presence in the Old Testament. Yep. So it's kind of reminding them that he is the king. Yes. As well. Um, okay, so that's a bit more about the ark. So why was bringing the ark into battle with them, um, into the battle with the Philistines, such a bad thing? In some way, didn't this show that they were trusting in God to win their battle? Like they wanted his power with them rather than rely on their own strength? I, on the surface of it, it might appear that way. And, and as we keep reading through, when we get into, if you keep reading through to, to Samuel, actually see the Philistines uh, bring their idols into battle mm-hmm. as well. And so uh, you, you'll see them defeated and then, uh, I can't remember who it was, who then takes the idols. It might have been Saul at that stage. I, I can't quite remember. Uh, takes takes their so rights. that's something that people in those days did did mm-hmm. that's what you did. Now you need to remember that, that the ark has actually been in battle at least once before, and that was mm-hmm. in uh, as you're coming into to Jericho. So we, we've uh, crossed uh, the Jordan, and the the people of God now circling around the city of Jericho. The ark is there to show that this is God's doing. This this is God bringing his people into their land and winning a victory for them. It's all his doing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's none of them. And what they're trying to do here in, uh, in 1 Samuel 4 is, well, God has done it before. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll do it again for us right now. Mm-hmm. So they, they're assuming God will save. Now, there's, there's no repentance involved of their sin. There's no sacrifice on, a, on the part of the sin. They're not petitioning God. They're just assuming mm-hmm. that he's going to save, that, that this is his will. Well, they're not even assuming that this is his will. They're just going, okay, God's going to save us. That's, that's all it is. So that's, that's the issue of bringing the ark and why it's such a bad thing because they haven't come to God at all. Now, again, if we keep reading through into Samuel and you get to David mm-hmm. and when he goes into battle, every time, God, shall I go up against the Philistines? Mm. Every time he asks God that question, what do you want me to do? And sometimes God says, yes, go up. A couple of times he says, no, go around. Uh, But every time he goes in, he's asking God. And so you see that big, big difference between what David does and what we see Mm. the Israelites do at this point. Mm. So it's a real contrast then. Yeah, very much so. Mm. Yeah, something I read about um, as well in the cultural moment at the time is that people would use their idols to try and force their gods to do things. Ah, yes. Compel them to do things. If I give you food, you'll look after us. Yes. So we'll actually come back to this, I think, when we, when we uh, in a few weeks' time, we'll, we'll look at the Trinity and we'll look at God the Father. And, and one of the things I hope to look at there is a difference between God Yahweh as, as he is revealed to us and the gods around the time. Mm-hmm. And you've actually hit one of the key points is that idolatry enables me to control my universe by proxy. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I'm a worshipper of the god Dagon, uh, who's the god of crops, I can offer him something and in return he will look after my crops. So I can now control my crops by proxy through my god. Mm-hmm. And then I have other gods. So I don't have just one god. I've got various other gods, of course, around me. And I ask them or do things or sacrifice for them 
and then in return they'll do me. It's a quid pro quo. Mm -hmm. I do something for you, you do something for me, and it works really well in theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that's the yeah that's that's idolatry in a nutshell. Right. So Richard, um, just a, a, a you've dropped a new piece of information for our listeners and, and yeah. for our church as to what our next sermon series is actually going to be on. Yeah, um, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah spoiler. Yeah. Which is totally fine. Uh, it's not like it's a secret, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, over the three weeks of the next school holidays, we, we're looking at the Trinity. Yep. God the Father, God the Son, God the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Um, so when you say, "Hey, we're looking at this in a couple of weeks' time," we're not looking at one Samuel. Yep. It's a separate series. Uh, that, that that we're coming to, which um, I, I'm really excited about. I yeah, think it's going to be really fantastic. I'm looking forward to it too. Mm, me too. I'm a bit scared about the questions that we'll get on the Trinity, though, on the podcast, but. That's all right. Uh, well. Richard's preaching, so he can. I think that bus is heading in my direction, so don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, good to know. Um, all right, so the Israelites in bringing the ark in were, it's almost like they were trying to manipulate God to yep. help them win rather than putting their trust in God. Yep. It was more of a manipulation. Um, and God will not be manipulated, exactly. as we saw. Okay. Um, all right, so now moving on from the ark and ancient Israel um, and looking at our prayer life. Um, so, Richard, you spoke about how we can sometimes try and use God's power for our benefit, like the Israelites did, in the way that we pray. Yep. Um, so is it bad to ask God for the things we want? What if we are asking for things that are good, like for healing or wisdom on a big decision? Um, how can we be sure that we aren't asking for the wrong things or the wrong reasons? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Uh, I, I suppose the, the simplest way to answer that is not to think of what you are praying for, but why you are praying for it. So mm -hmm. what's at the heart is, um, is, is probably the key. And just to go back to David versus the Israelites again, they were both, they were both wanting the same thing, uh, both wanting victory over the Philistines David comes to God and he actually does, does pray for it and, and God says yes. So it's not mm. what it, – it, it's, it's what's in your heart. And it's not wrong to pray for things like healing. Um, the question is, well, why, why am I praying to be healed, for example? Mm. Am I praying to be healed so I can be healed so I can go and serve God? Am I praying to be healed so I can be healed and to go and live my life the way I want to live it without God? So, so, and there's obviously a spectrum in, in between mm. those two, two sides. So why am I? Why do I want to be healed? Why am I praying? And it's the same for everything, for every decision I make. Why do I want X as opposed to Y? Uh, it's it comes down to the heart, not so much the uh, what what we say. And I suppose with all of these things, when when we're praying to God for things, the ultimate thing to be praying for at the end of it is that God will be glorified. Mm -hmm. So I might be prayed to be healed, but I'm not. God be glorified, even mm. if the answer's no. Mm. Uh, as, as Paul said, uh, when the, the thorn in his flesh wasn't taken out. Because mm. he did pray for healing. Yeah, he did pray for healing. Mm. Uh, just a, a point of note, there are only two prayers that I'm aware of in the New Testament that are personal prayers, but people pray for themselves. Both of them are answered in the negative. Mm. Paul prays one, Jesus prays one. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, I'm not going to make any point beyond that, but it's just an interesting thing to note that all the other prayers in the New Testament are for uh other people, gospel going out, the gospel to be proclaimed, proclaim that I um, pray that I should proclaim it clearly as I should, all of those sorts of things, mm. uh, which is just an interesting thing about our prayer life and how we pray is 
not not this way, not inside. So I'm pointing again. I'm pointing <laughs> myself here. Not not for things for us, but for things that God God will be glorified. Mm. So that yeah, that's uh, yeah, if you think of it that way, that I think is is uh, key. Interesting mm-hmm. in uh, the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray that uh, everything is upward focused, uh, but the only thing that's not is give us today our daily bread. Yeah, give us um, what we need. Yeah. Give us what we need for today. Yeah. Uh, and if we take that as the model of what to pray for, um, it, it probably should shift our prayer life uh, a little bit. Well, I mean, just reflecting, it should shift. It needs to shift. Mine needs to shift. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, as I correct myself. So yeah, it's yeah. interesting just going to Jesus and what, how he teaches us yeah, to pray. Indeed. Mm. Indeed. Yeah, that's really helpful. Okay, so let's go back to ancient Israel. Um, and we're looking at Eli again. So I've got a couple of questions about Eli. Mm-hmm. So Eli was a priest that mm-hmm. served under God for the majority of his life. So I guess you could say that he served God his whole life. Did his failure to restrain his sons mean that he was judged as deserving of hell? Does God smite people that are his chosen few for heaven? Ooh, that's a, I was going to pass that one on to Dave. Uh, <laughs> and he flicked it right he back. Did you see me pointing back at I you there, Richard? You. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have an, I have an answer. Um, I'll, I'll go and then you and can... Then you, you can look at me trying to think. <laughs> you, you can then give it substance. Um, <laughs> so we need to understand the nature of sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the, the question here of, you know, did Eli's failure to restrain his sons mean he was judged as deserving of hell? Um, I, you know, part of what sin is, is knowing God's clear commands and then doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when God's directives are clear uh, and we do the opposite, it's not just whoops, forgot about that, uh, it's a different order. Uh, it's us declaring to God and saying, hey, you don't get to des- you know, um, figure out what is right and wrong. I get to figure out now what is right and wrong. It's a change in autonomy, you know, in terms of who describes and who decides what's right, what's wrong, what I'm going to follow, what I'm not. And so when we do that, either do it out of ignorance or do it deliberately, uh, we are offending the God of the universe. And so when we understand what sin is, uh, and that's a clear example here, yes, the judgment of sin is death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God is right and true and just and proper uh, to bring judgment upon sin. And I think once we understand that, uh, we can then start to marvel at the wonder that Jesus, that God saves anybody, mm. uh, considering that's where we all are now. There's other subsequent questions that follow on for that we can deal with at, at a podcast at a different time. Uh, and so then the next question, does God smite people that are his chosen few for heaven? No, he does not. Um, uh, all this shows us here is that um, Eli was not, if, you know, Eli was not one of God's chosen people. If he's judged him and he's gone to, you know, that's what's happened. And again, what we're going to see throughout 1 Samuel is uh, I think the Israelites go, man, God, do your thing against the Philistines. You know, we're safe here in our little bubble of fun. Uh, and God sort of turns and says, no, you're not. 
Mm. Anyway, that's my answer. Mm. I think it's a good answer. I'm not sure I've got anything of substance <laughs> uh, worthwhile to add to that. Um, the, I think it's, it's really good to, to be thinking about that, that idea that, that there is sin and there is, there is judgment. God takes sin very, very seriously. Mm. And the judgment of death that was handed down as the correct and right and proper judgment for sin. And the, the thing to keep in mind too is that Eli's response as you go through was not when he'd heard about the judgment, because he's been heard, there's a judgment mm-hmm. coming, is, oh, maybe I should repent here. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should plead to God for mercy. Maybe I should do something like that. That is not his response. Mm. So there's that to keep in mind too that, he, well, we don't know what God would have done. We're not told. But he could have at least done that. It could have at mm. least come to God. Yes, I'm wrong. That's something that we have sort of flagged in the few mm. of the previous episodes was, okay, so this judgment was pronounced on Eli, but maybe if he'd repented like other people had in the Old Testament, yep. uh, maybe God would have relented, but yes. that's not what he did. Yeah. Um, so just to clarify, I'm just wondering if the question was asking if we think, as if we'd know, um, but if we think that e- Eli went to hell. Hmm. We're not told, are we? No, I don't so, think so. Sort of no. going, I mean... It, Part of what I guess the intention behind the question is, you know, the first sentence in the question is Eli served under God for, for a majority of his life. Surely he's okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we just need to keep heeding the warnings that come in Scripture to go, we can't uh, presume upon God. Uh, and what we do in our in our lives and our actions really matters mm. um, without wanting to make an overarching statement as to we're saved by works, but what we do really matters. Mm. And, and again, again in the scriptures, we, yep. we see that. Get exactly that. Um, and so, yeah, but we're not told where his eternal destiny is. Mm. Yep, I would agree with that. Okay, so we have another question about Eli. Um, and this, I think, was the missed question from last week. So <laughs> we're doing it now. Um, so it says in verse 13, it seems to say that Eli's sin was because his sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. To what extent are we responsible for the actions of our kids or the people under our authority? Richard, are you looking at me going, you I, missed it, mate. Yeah. Pick it up. <laughs> Pick it up off I'm, the floor. I'm, I'm looking at you because I need a moment to think about this one again. So. Yeah, look, um, so I was, uh, it's a pity we missed it last week because I, I, I think I had an answer last week too. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I've got an answer this week too. Um, so as you go through the scriptures, uh, you do see times where uh, the generation above is punished for the generation of their children and, and their sins and, and vice versa. Mm. Um, and you, you, we're going to see that through 1 Samuel, are we not? Um, you know, where uh, the sin of David uh, falls to his sons over and over again. You know, you talk about the demise of Israel and demise of David. Like it all starts with David's sins um, and so on. So and off it goes. There's an interesting little point that uh, you get to in Ezekiel uh, where it talks about uh, you no longer are going to eat the sour grapes of your children. Uh, and God says in there, uh, each man will be uh, punished for his own sin, not the sins of his children. And so there's this sort of shift that happens uh, uh, as you go through the scriptures uh, in terms of how God views people's sin. Now, 
uh, not in that it's no longer sin, mm. um, but the, the tightness of the family unit and sort of how it all comes together. Uh, there is a little shift in there. However, I, I also, it's worth noting as you go through the pastoral epistles, you know, uh, 1 Timothy and what qualifies you to be uh, mm. uh, an elder uh, or a leader in a congregation uh, is uh, that they have children uh, who obey and, and believe. Mm. Now, you've got to qualify children in there in terms of what that means. Uh, but it, it is interesting that as you do a real broad sweep of Scripture in there, uh, that, uh, that there's, there's a connection, but we are ultimately each responsible for our own sins and can't sort of just pass it off now and go, hey, no longer my problem it's mum and dad's problem um mm. yeah i don't know does that spark something for you richard uh yeah it, it does um yes so i'm responsible for my my own sin and so i cannot say because i grew up in a pagan household uh, that what then that did influence me mm. um that uh that's uh, their response their, their responsibility and so therefore i'm not responsible because that was my upbringing i'm, I'm accountable to god for my own actions and um, my own words, my own deeds. That also being said, I'm also responsible now as a father to set my child on the right path. So that is my um, responsibility and I may also say my privilege that uh, I've been given this privilege of, of saying this is the way you should go. Mm. Now in the end of course it's our children's choice as it was my choice uh, and it was as your choice to work out, am I going to obey God? Am I going to turn away? But there is that responsibility moving forward. And as a parent, that is a, that is a serious responsibility because your mm. children, uh, as, as I tell young parents a lot, your children will not do what you say, but they will do what you do. Mm. And that's, a, that's a, a, a really strong warning for us. So if you want to know what your kids are going to be like, well, look at what you do, not mm. at what you say. Mm. And they will tend to follow that path. Mm. Yeah, no guarantees. No, indeed, no, no guarantees. But, um, yeah, you, you do have a, as a parent, you have a significant part to play uh, in the influence of your children as they yeah, grow up and, and, and how they see the world. Um, and ultimately, you know, it's uh, like everyone around this table here, it, it would be um, our strong desire that our children would never know a day uh, without God's grace. And, you know, I Indeed. pray that for my kids all the time. Um, but there's no guarantees. Indeed. Um, but, mate, I'm working as hard as I can, let me mm. tell you, uh, mm. to do everything in my power uh, that they love Jesus and that they love the church. Indeed. Mm. Indeed. Yeah, it's an excellent question. And as a parent, I feel the weight of it as well. Yeah. Um, because we are responsible in some degree for the actions of our children, um, as we've talked about. So let's be praying Let's be um, reflecting every day on, on how we're going, how we're tracking as parents. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, prayer mm. <laughs> above all. Mm. Um, okay, so um, let's move on to what was in the paper actually last week. So wrap up what we talked about on Sunday. And actually we had a question come in during the week about something that someone had read in the Sydney Morning Herald um, about um, – an Anglican church split. There's a new diocese, the Diocese of the Southern Cross. And the question is, how, if any way, do we respond to the Anglican church split? But let's 
first start, Dave, by understanding what has actually happened? What's going on? Yeah, uh, this is a great question. And just as a flag, uh, we'll have a bit of a chat about this on Sunday mm -hmm. uh, at, uh, across our three services. Um, and uh, while it would have been good to, to chat about last Sunday, uh, I was unable to be in the building mm -hmm. uh, for uh, for COVID reasons. Um, uh, so what's what's happened? Uh, look, this has been a long time coming. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the you'll hear different words and terminology. So um, a, a lot of it's around GAFCON, mm -hmm. uh, which is Global Anglican Futures Future Conference. Um, and uh, that organisation has been around, uh, I think, since around 2008. Sounds about right. Mm -hmm. And uh, what uh, they were initially set up to do was to provide a place for uh, Anglican churches, not whole diocese, Anglican churches, uh, who were struggling to sit under the diocesan uh, bishop uh, and their teaching. Uh, and often uh, in those circumstances, uh, those people had given up on uh, what would we would call orthodox Christian beliefs uh, that have been held for, for thousands uh, of years uh, and wanted a place where they could have genuine fellowship uh, and felt uh, in good conscience they could no longer sit under um, those organisations. Uh, and so across the globe, uh, GAFCON has been active uh, it's it's quite big in Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it's it's quite prominent in New Zealand now, uh, and and in other various places. And they have provided uh, conferences for people to go to, say get together, uh, and and we can hang out. Now, last week, uh, um, the uh, the Anglican Church, um, uh, well, there was a conference in Canberra put on by GAFCON Australia, uh, and. Uh, uh, the Anglican Church in Australia has been uh, going through a really tough time uh, as uh, we've been divided over um, issues. Uh, and again, uh, the touchstone here at this point in time is around same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but it, it's, it's been bubbling beneath the surface in terms of what Orthodox teaching uh, looks like. Um, you know, all the way to sort of, you know, many years ago there was bishops in the Anglican Church who deny the physicality of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, there's a lot of things bubbling beneath the surface uh, 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 that um, have been around for, for a number of years. Um, so, last week, uh, the Diocese of the Southern Cross uh, was started. Mm -hmm. Now, this, uh, it's important to clarify that um, the Anglican Church has not split mm -hmm in this start of this diocese. What is it seeking to do? It's seeking to give a place of refuge uh, and a place of fellowship for those uh, in a situation where, again, in good conscience, they can no longer sit under their bishop. Uh, and at the moment, it constitutes one church uh, in Brisbane, uh, a guy called Peter Palmer, uh, who, um, in discussions with Philip Aspinall, who's the, the Archbishop of Brisbane Diocese, uh, has uh, he put in his resignation uh, and has moved to sit under GAFCON okay. uh, Australia. Um, so the Anglican Church has not split. Uh, all the dioceses that existed previously, and of which I think there are 23 of them across Australia, they still exist. Uh, we, are, we are still the Anglican Church of Australia constitutionally. 
Um, there is now a new diocese. It is not part of the Anglican Church of Australia, although they hold all of the same things and look, you know, and you know all, all the sort of Anglican things um, in part. You know, and they have their own bishop to go with it, which is our previous Archbishop Glenn Davies. Uh, and so um, that's a very sort of brief and high-level summary of sort of what's happened. Um, and so I, I just want to really emphasise the Anglican Church has not split, mm. contrary to, you know, uh, what some media outlets uh, have put out there. Um, I have no doubt that this uh, is a moment in time that is quite significant for us uh, as the Anglican Church. Uh, and... Um, uh, as our Archbishop has put out there uh, in a media release, you can go to sydneyanglicans.net and see uh, Kanishka's uh, letter and thing uh, what he's put out there is that uh, he's committed to the form of the Anglican Church where it is needed um, uh, so that uh, it, it presents and represents biblical orthodoxy and extends his arm in fellowship to the Diocese of the Southern Cross, but also expresses his sadness that this diocese is even required in the first place. Mm. Is that, mm, Richard, yeah. do you want to th add anything in there, mate? Um, I, th I think the only thing, just to um, re-emphasise what you were saying a moment ago, this has been a long time coming. Mm. Uh, I can remember 25 years ago, talking with people in the diocese when the, the big issue that we were talking about then was uh, the, the physicality of the resurrection and there was conversations then over over what issues here are we going to make a stand here how do you um, how do we continue in fellowship with people who deny some of the fundamentals of the faith mm -hmm. so yeah this has been this has been around for a long time so this is, is it, it may seem sudden but it isn't mm -hmm. uh, and these things have been going on for well as I said I can think back 25 years when I started ministry mm. that these these uh, issues were there and this is just the, the the latest of the touchstone issues that have been over the years mm. um, and so look it, it is as I said that the, the touchstone thing right now is not the resurrection mm. uh, the thing that uh, is uh, whether all the discussion is happening is around um, same-sex same marriage right. uh, and so I mean I, I think Oops, I just smashed the table. Um, not, not in anger, with my knee. Um, and so, unfortunate timing. Um, uh, I, I think I wanted to just say a couple of things on that in terms of um, uh, the Christian church has held a belief on marriage uh, for thousands of years, which we believe is in line with the scriptures. And we've talked a little bit about this yeah, on have. this podcast before. Yep in that uh, we want to f oh, uh, affirm the scriptures teach that marriage is between a man and a woman uh, in, uh, in, in faithfulness between them. Um, but I also want to say, just in terms of our own church here at Kellyville, um, we, we want to welcome people where they're at. Yep. Um, and we want to introduce them to who Jesus is uh, and get them to know Jesus. Um, and that that's what we want to present. But we also don't want to say that marriage is something else when that's been the classic orthodox teaching which i don't think uh, needs changing um and you know upholds the test of time um but also in saying that want to recognize not everyone's on that same page yeah uh, and and um uh, but ultimately our desire is for people to come to know jesus um and, and get to meet him mm.
Thank you for saying that because one of my sadnesses reading the paper is that I feel like this could be a barrier for the LGBT community to come to know Jesus. And I just want to highlight that as well, that um, we welcome everyone here. Um, Yeah. All right. So that wraps up that last of our questions. Um, Can we talk about what's happening next Sunday? Yes, we can. Um, We come to a wonderful passage. This is a cracker. Don't miss church on Sunday. (laughs) uh, we 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 come to the he- what I've called the heavy hand of Yahweh mm-hmm. versus the hands free Dagon. <laughs> <laughs> literally, um, literally. <laughs> um, and so you know, we pick the story up. Um, you know, the ark is captured, uh, which uh, Richard highlighted for us. And you know, then the the narrative goes in sort of a different direction. We're going to pick the story up. What happens on the other side of the fence mm-hmm. uh, with the Philistines? And the ark, and what God does uh, in that particular um, uh, part, and it's fascinating. It's I got so many, so many. There's so many lessons for us to learn today, mm. uh, in terms of how we think about who God is and how He acts. Um, so anyway, yeah, mm. it's Come also on. really entertaining. Oh, it's a great. Like, yeah, it is. Indeed. There is so much tongue in cheek. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to restrain myself. Okay, I look forward to that. (laughs) All right, well, thanks for joining us, um, everyone, for this episode of Set on Sunday, and we hope to see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. If you can't visit us in person, you can also join us online. You can find out more information at www.kac.sydney. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.